Welcome to the People's Church Sermoncast. You can join us for our live worship services on Sundays at 10 a.m. People's Church is located at the corner of Mill Plain and Andreessen in Vancouver, Washington. Please visit our website at peoplesvancouver.church to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. And now for this week's sermon. You're listening to the sermon cast from People's Church of Vancouver, Washington. You're invited to join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. We're located at 6801 East Mill Plain Boulevard in Vancouver, Washington. For more information, visit us at peopleschurchvancouver.org. Now for this week's sermon. The title of my message this morning is Mountain Moving Faith. Mountain Moving Faith. The reason I started this whole thing, I just felt like many of us, our faith has taken a beating through this whole pandemic thing. Our faith has taken a beating. We've been, we've been gripped with insecurity and fear and worry and doubt, and our faith it's like, it's become like a punching bag. And I thought, well, you know what, we need to pump it up a little bit. So the fact that I'm speaking out of 1 Samuel 17 today, you could either call it mountain-moving faith, or you could call it giant-killing faith, okay? The word faith is mentioned in the Bible 236 times. To me, that's enough times to say, oh, that's kind of important to God, isn't it? He put it in his word 236 times. I should pay attention to that, okay? And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, when I was a kid growing up in the Pentecostal church, that verse right there used to intimidate me to death. I thought, really? If I don't have enough faith, God's not going to be happy with me? And I would would labor as a kid, you know. I got saved when I was five years old. And... uh, but I would read that or I would hear that read and I would hear it preached on and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And who doesn't want to please their father, right? Their earthly father, who I'm privileged to still have on the face of the earth. Got to have dinner with him last weekend. See how he was doing at the ripe old age of 82. Or it's your heavenly father. We like to please our heavenly father. Amen. Let me encourage you, I'm not going to go into Hebrews 11 in depth, but it is a great faith chapter. So I encourage you to make a note of that in your notes today, or write a little note in the margin of your Bible, and when you go home this afternoon after you've had your nap and your lunch and all that good stuff, maybe read Hebrews 11 top to bottom. It is a great faith chapter. It will bolster your faith, it will encourage your faith, It will pump up your faith like a flat tire, okay? So, with that in mind, let me share a little intro story here. Mom asked Joey what he learned in Sunday school, and he said, Our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his engineers build a pontoon bridge, and all the people walked across. Then he radioed to headquarters, and they sent bombers to blow up the bridge And all the Israelites were saved. Now, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you? His mother asked. Well, no, Mama. But if I told you the way she told it, you would never believe it. 
See, Bible stories, some of them, they're too good to be true. Other Bible stories that we read are too good not to be true. Such is the case with David and Goliath. Here's this young boy who bravely faces the big bad bully, and he wins the day. A lot of theologians think David was maybe 15. He was the youngest of the, of the bunch. Maybe 15 or 16 years old when this story took place in 1 Samuel 17. And uh, he wasn't large in stature. In fact, I think I remember reading one commentary that called him ruddy, or whatever that means. Was he a little red-headed, freckle-faced boy? I don't know. Um, but we'll let the theologians sort that out. Anyway, David wasn't a big kid. And uh, he was the youngest of the bunch. And he wasn't a soldier, okay? But he faced the big bad bully and he wins the day. How many movies or books have we read about a small, unimportant person who takes on the bully? Huh? At school or their boss or the corporation. And they win the day. What do we do? We boo the bully and we cheer on the underdog, right? But the real focus of this story today in Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17 is mountain-moving faith. And here's, here's another part of our text. Mark eleven twenty three 23 says this, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now I want you to understand something. Jesus is not talking to us about how to rearrange geography, okay? He made the mountains, he made the seas, and all that good stuff. He's not talking about excavation or dirt work, okay? What he's stressing is the power and the importance of our faith in God Almighty, amen? So he puts into words here in Mark, is that right? Is that what I just said? Mark 11, okay. He puts into words what David puts into action in 1 Samuel 17. So the question is, can you and I have this same kind of faith in God that David had? I think we can. I think we can. And we're going to kind of work through that process today. Author Warren Worsby, who's a good Baptist brother and he's as smart as a whip, he says, the people who jest about faith do not realize how big a part it plays in our everyday affairs. It takes faith to get married. It takes faith to send children off to school. It takes faith to get a prescription filled. It takes faith to eat in a restaurant, especially these days, amen? To deposit money in the bank, to sign a contract, or to drive on the freeway, or to get on an airplane or on an elevator. Faith isn't some kind of religious experience for the elite. It's the glue that holds people's daily lives together. You ever stop and think about that? How often do you exercise your faith? Quite often, I think. The Bible tells us that we all have a measure of faith. Okay? A measure of faith, the Bible says. But not all faith is equal. There's a big difference between a faith that says, I believe there is a God. A lot of people do that. They may not be born-again Christians, but they believe there is a God somewhere up there. It takes a whole other faith to say, Jesus Christ is my personal Savior, and I have received Him into my life, and I hope to see Him one day in heaven. Amen? Big difference between a faith that prays over finances, nothing wrong with that. Say, Lord, can you help me pay the bills this month? Can you help me meet the need this week? Or a faith that moves mountains. 
So if you're taking notes today, write down number one. Mountains happen. Mountains happen. Yeah. We can all say amen to that, right? Mountains happen. Have you ever noticed how routine our daily lives, our everyday work at church kind of life is going on? Come in the door. Hi, how was your day? Fine. How was your Teresa and I have had this conversation a lot. How was your day? Fine. Anything special happened? Nope. Okay, how about you? Nope. Same old, same old. Me too. <laughs> same old stuff, different day. How many of you know that that's kind of like how life can go? And there's nothing wrong with that. We all have a regiment. We all have a routine. Um, but sometimes we get this desire in our heart, this little bit of fervor or fire in our heart to say, boy, I could really use something different in my life today or this week or this month or whatever. So you do a vacation. You, you go on vacation. You see some different sites. Uh, or you drive over to the coast for a long weekend or whatever and you wiggle your toes in the ocean just to get a breath of fresh air from the mundane, everyday work-a-life kind of thing. But then some people, when they're desiring for something different and something big and wonderful, then they get a little more than they bargained for and a mountain rises up right in the middle of life's path, okay? It may be a medical mountain. It could be cancer. It could be COVID-19. It could be a myriad of things. It could be a money mountain from a bad economy. Lord knows that this pandemic has beat up our economy. It could be a mountain of doubt a mountain of worry, a mountain of temptation. It could be a mountain of hurt in your life out of a bad relationship or a mountain of depression. Now, I'm not talking about little hills like we go over on I-5 on the freeway, you know, you pull a hill, you go down the other side. No, no, no. I'm talking about high mountains, things like mountains in our life that look like Mount Hood, okay? To me, that's a big mountain. I don't know what the elevation on the peak is up there, but that's not a little mountain. That is a big mountain. And I would have to be 40 years younger if I was going to think about climbing that mountain. Yeah, because I am not gung-ho to do that at my age at this point in time. So mountains, get the, they come into our lives. They're too high to climb. They're too wide to go around. That's the bottom line. So what do we do? For the nation of Israel, in, our, in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, this mountain was a giant. In this corner, ladies and gentlemen, standing 9 feet 9 inches tall, weighing at 650 to 700 pounds, I give you Goliath of Gath. And the Philistine crowd roars, and they cheer, and they clap, and they love this guy. He is their champion. And he issues a challenge to Saul and his army in verses 8, 9, and 10 in our, in our text today. Now, there's no cheering on the Israelite side, okay? But he issues this challenge. Let me go back and see if I can find that. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and I kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. He was kind of tempting fate, don't you think? But he was the biggest, baddest guy in the neighborhood. There's no doubt about that. 
So there's no cheering or, or rah-rahs on the Israelite side because Saul and his men, I don't know how many were in the army of the Israelites, but there had to be a lot. I mean, the people were, what, three million strong at one time or better? But these guys were terrified out of their wits. They were scared to death. You could hear their armor clanking together. They were shaking so bad, okay? And the logical choice in all of this story, the guy that should have been sent out to battle Goliath would have been King Saul. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 9, it describes him this way. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any man or than any of the people in the land. He was the tallest, biggest, baddest Israelite they had. Huh? How many of you ever stood next to Michael Holbrook? Michael, how tall are you? Depends on, depends on which shoes he wears that day. I'm 5'6". He's 6'6". You put us side by side. It's quite hilarious. My dad had an associate pastor by the name of Weston Hahn when I was a kid growing up. My dad's 5'6". Weston is 6'7". And so you stand these two guys on the platform together, and it was hilarious. You couldn't, just, you couldn't help but laugh. Okay? So Saul was the guy, but Saul is not volunteering for this job. Nobody in his ranks are volunteering. Goliath is just too huge to try to tackle alone. Go out there. Nobody wants to fight this guy. So Saul and the Israelite soldiers, they huddle together like frightened mice, not even having a clue what to do in this situation. I'd say they were paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed by fear. My pastor in Tacoma used to call it the paralysis of analysis. They thought about it long and hard, way too much, and they just froze in their tracks. That's kind of the way it goes. How many of you know that the opposite of faith is fear? It's a sad state of affairs, but it's the truth. The opposite of faith is fear. Now, fear not is mentioned in the Bible. The, the little term, fear not, is mentioned in the Bible approximately 365 times, okay? God's given us a way out of fear. He just said, look, fear not, fear not, fear not. One for every day of the year. Think about that. How about that? So mountains happen. One minute, you're walking on level ground, you're minding your own business, nothing's going on, and the next thing you are standing facing this mountain of fear Wondering how you will ever make it past this insurmountable obstacle. I remember when we were living in Tacoma, Mount Rainier was not too far away, about 75 miles as the crow flies. And it looked big from our front yard. And when we were, we, we had taken up riding motorcycling and motorcycles and everything. And so we decided, okay, we're going to ride up the mountain as far as we possibly can. The mountain never got smaller. The mountain never got smaller. We just kept riding and riding and winding and riding and winding and riding. And the mountain was just as huge up there as it was looking at it from down at the house. It's crazy. So that insurmountable obstacle in front of us. The only way to keep going is to find some way to move the mountain as the Bible declares. You say, well, is that even possible, Mike? Yeah, it is if you've got faith like David had. See, David was a young man, but he had already kind of proved himself. He had already killed a lion with his bare hands. He, the Bible tells us he had already killed a bear 
with his bare hands because these animals jumped up and came against him and his flock of sheep as a kid. And God anointed him, and man, he, kind of a, he was kind of a little mini Samson. He killed them both with his bare hands. So if you, you can do this if you possess a faith, a mountain-moving faith, like David had. Number two today, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are a little bit, mountain-moving faith sees life from God's perspective. Mountain-moving uh, faith sees life from God's perspective. This is found in verses 22 to 37 in our text today. I'm not going to read that. Instead, I'm going to read you a little story that will give you an idea about perspective. One quiet Saturday afternoon, several men were sitting in a saloon, and when suddenly, old Jeb come racing in and hollering, Big John is coming to town. Big John is coming to town. Everybody clears out except the saloon keeper, who's trying to lock up when a man comes galloping down Main Street on a huge buffalo. He dismounts, grabs the buffalo by the horns, bites down on its upper lip, kicks it in the ribs, and orders it to stay. The buffalo cowers submissively. The man rips the saloon doors from their hinges, stomps in, and catches the bartender. Hold up there, the stranger orders. I got a hankering for a drink. The saloon keeper is paralyzed with fear. This stranger stands seven feet tall and outweighs a full-grown grizzly bear. He wears rattlesnake chaps and a greasy rawhide shirt, a filthy torn Stetson, and steel-tipped boots. On one hip, he carries a sawed-off shotgun, and on the other hip is a 32-inch Arkansas toothpick. On his scarred face is a look of cruel, insane meanness. Right, right away, sir, the trembling bartender fetches a bottle. The stranger seizes the bottle, smashes off the neck on the edge of the bar, tilts it back, and drains the contents in one big gulp. Uh, would you like another one, sir? The bartender stammers. The stranger wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. I don't have time. I got to get out of here. Haven't you heard? Big John is coming to town. <laughs> Size is a matter of perspective, okay? Haven't you heard? Big John's coming to town. You may be a giant. Just think how Tiffany might feel. I mean, Shalise might feel. She's just a little kid. Stand her next to Mike Hallbrook, and she might look up and think, man, that guy just goes forever, doesn't he? I tell you. So you might be a giant in a child's eyes, but you might be a dwarf compared to a professional wrestler or somebody like Shaquille O'Neal. I looked up the specs on Shaquille O'Neal. If you don't know who he is, he's a big-time basketball player. I think he's, is he retired now, as far as I know? Okay. So Shaq, as they call him, is seven foot one, 325 pounds. He's two and a half feet shorter than Goliath was, and he's half the weight, and he's still one of the largest human beings on the face of the earth today. Can't imagine going underneath the basket against that guy. He would just beat you to a bloody pulp, wouldn't he? So what I'm getting across here is mountain-moving faith is a matter of perspective. You can see how big the mountain is. You keep approaching the mountain and it just gets bigger and bigger. But you always have to see God as bigger than any mountain in our lives, any mountain that we face. See, that was David's perspective. David had been out there before, maybe not on the battlefield, but he'd been out there and he knew. David didn't see what the soldiers saw, okay? That's the difference between David and anybody else in the ranks. 
David sees an uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defy the armies of the living God. Mentions in verse 26. David got a little righteously indignant about that whole thing, didn't he? All the soldiers saw was, well, if I could go out and kill this giant, I might have an opportunity to win favor with the king. Okay? I might get a few prizes, door prizes, whatever. I don't remember what all he offered, but it was, was there a daughter involved? Okay, there was a beautiful daughter involved too. Yeah, might have motivated some of the guys, but still nobody was jumping out there against Goliath. But here's what David saw. He saw the man who kills this big bully as the one who will take away the reproach of Israel. That's what motivated David, okay? Later, when David meets Goliath on the battlefield, he says in verse 45, he says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David knew the God he served. That's the bottom line. How well do you know your God? David knew the God he served. He knew the kind of strength that God could offer him when he was facing a mountain. The soldiers saw Goliath and said, well, he's just too big to hit. David looked out and saw Goliath and said, wait a minute, he's just too big to miss. That's all there is to it. David had the perspective of mountain-moving faith. Let me ask you today, do you believe your God is bigger than your circumstances or your problems? Is he bigger than your mean old boss or your scheming enemies? Bigger than the economy? Bigger than any disease or temptation? Bigger than life and bigger than death? Amen? Bigger than death. God is just, he's way bigger, folks. He's the creator of the almighty universe. It just, look out in the night sky, my goodness, and it'll just boggle your mind. We just have to see him as big, amen? Speaking of the night sky, have you ever looked through a telescope and, and looked at the stars out there? The telescope doesn't make the star any larger than it actually is, okay? The Bible says God flung those stars out there out of the palm of his hand. But that telescope doesn't make that star any bigger. It just helps us to see the star bigger than it is, okay? So you can't make God any bigger than he is. He's Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end. He's been there and he's always going to be there. And he's God. So you can't make him any bigger than he is. But by faith, you can see him bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Amen? Number three today, if you're taking those notes, mountain-moving moving faith gets the job done. Mountain-moving faith gets the job done. This comes out of verses 38 through 54 in our text. You know, faith is one of those virtues that's very admirable, but sometimes not very practical. Okay? I'm just being honest with you. Faith can inspire us. Faith can motivate us. Like I say, faith can pump us up like a good shot of adrenaline. But faith, sometimes it doesn't seem very practical. Faith doesn't always accomplish anything. Doesn't always, even when we're inspired and motivated. But this story of, little, of David and Goliath proves otherwise. You think about the story itself back in the Bible. David is called into Saul's tent. Saul's the king. He's this big bruiser of a man. David kneels down as this young teenage boy, and he says, King, your worries are over. Your majesty, I'm here to slay the giant. 
Now, I'm sure Saul, I'm sure Saul gave it a good chuckle. He's like, oh, really? You don't say. What's your plan, son? So David goes on to tell him what's going to go on. And so Saul replies, he comes back, he says, well, listen, if you're so bent on fighting this mountain of a man, go ahead, but please at least let me fit you with my armor so you're a little bit protected. So Saul and his servants, they're putting the armor on David, and David gets all this on, and I'm sure every piece of armor was dragging the ground except for maybe the helmet. You know, I remember as a kid, putting a, I was a little kid, and I put on my dad's suit jacket, and the sleeves would drag the ground, and the coattail would drag the ground. I'm sure that's how David looked and David felt. So all it does is hinder him, so he leaves it behind. The Bible said instead he chooses five smooth stones from the brook and his sling. What is that? Well, that's the weapons of a shepherd boy. That was just to fend off animals in the field, you know. But that's what he's going to use to go face Goliath. So David walks out into the battlefield and Goliath curses David in the name of his gods. But finally, somewhere along the way in the conversation, Goliath decides, you know what? This kid is for real. This kid is not backing down to anything I throw at him verbally. I obviously don't intimidate him that bad. So now it's David's turn, okay, standing out there on the battlefield. Without a hint of fear, he calls out, I see your weapons, but they will not help you. I come in the name of the Lord, and you don't stand a chance against him. It's you who will feed the buzzards this day, and everybody will know that the God of Israel is the one true God. The battle is his, and he will get all of the glory when I win it. David pretty much read his mail, didn't he? This is what's going to happen, Goliath. Don't know if you got up this morning thinking this way, but I just want to be honest with you and tell you, this is how it's going to go down, my friend. Yeah. So here's each army on, on, on each side of this va little valley, and they're just transfixed on this conversation. They, they're like, oh, my goodness, what's, what's happening here? Goliath's going to grab David around the throat, crunch him up like a saltine cracker in a bowl of soup, okay? But they're, they're just fixed on this conversation and this whole situation. So they watch David load his sling with a stone. They watch him get that thing going around the top of his head there. And then they watch him launch that rock, and that rock makes a beeline for Goliath and hits him right in between the eyes, right in the forehead, softest part of his skull, and caves his skull in right there. They watch Goliath stagger for a moment. He can't get his footing, and then finally he goes down like a big oak tree, and he crashes to the ground. What does David do? Runs up, grabs a sword out of Goliath's sheath, and chunk, lops off the giant's head. Body here, head there, sword and David in between. What a sight, amen? Now the Philistines, they go running because their champion just got whooped. They don't know what to think. And then the Israel, Israelite army, they pursue and the nation of Israel, they say that David, I guess, took the head, grabbed a handful of Goliath's hair, took the head, and they hiked back into town, and everybody was rejoicing, whatever, how it went down. And they celebrated David's victory, but I guarantee you, if you could have talked to David later that afternoon, he would be the first person to tell you that he didn't deserve any of the glory. He knew where the strength came from. i got to believe that when that stone came out of that sling, it had to be doing Mach 1. That was, God just reached down and went, Flicked it with his finger. and Because they say that Goliath had a big helmet on and it just had a little opening. Again, those theologians, you know. And God said, I'll get you. Bang. Hit him right in the head. 
He was done. He was done. Permanent brain damage. What can you say? But David's faith was focused on God's glory through this whole thing. Mountain-moving faith gets the job done only through God's power and only for God's glory. Keep that in mind. I get a little frustrated when people talk about how they're moving mountains in their own strength. I love flipping the Christian channel, one TV evangelist after the other. I just, I, ch- I have to chuckle. Maybe you've got some, I won't mention any names, but maybe you've got your favorite on there that you love to watch on the TBN station or whatever, but you hear these people talk about how they're going to do this or do that in their own strength. And they say, look, declare what you want, and it's yours, okay? Confess it, possess it, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, put it on the wall and frame it. That's kind of their mentality about the whole thing. And I guarantee you that the only mountain that God will promise to move in your life are those that are in His way, in his, for His purpose, and for His glory. That's the kind of God we serve. God's a jealous God. He, he wants all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, and I don't blame Him. If I was God, I would want the same. Amen? Psalm 115 tells us this. 115 and 1 says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth. That's where the glory is supposed to go. Amen? So let me ask you today as I bring this to a close, what mountain or mountains does God want to move in your life? See, you can have the same kind of faith that David had. Amen? You believe that with me today? I believe it. I'm contending for some things in my life. You know, the last couple of times I've spoken, I've had to sit in a chair because my feet have been so bad with neuropathy. Today I got up and I put on my most comfortable dress shoes I could find in in uh, in the closet. And I said, you know what? Here's the problem. When you're sitting down here and you're trying to read your notes through your bifocals, you don't see very well. All you see is those bright lights. So I thought, you know what, today I'm going to fight back a little bit. I'm going to stand up and look at my notes and look at you guys and not sit down because that's a mountain in my life that I believe God is going to move. And I just keep praying it. I keep speaking it. I was sitting there this morning uh, when one of those songs were playing and I just had both hands on my knees praying over my feet and my legs. Say, God, I'm still believing you for healing. It may not have happened today, but it's going to happen. And every time I see Betty Jo come through the door, she tells me, I'm still praying for your legs and your feet. So I appreciate that. Let me pray over you today before we go. Father God, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the stories that you've placed in your word to help us walk this life out. To walk through life following your word, following your example. Lord, I pray today as we've heard from your word that we would bolster our faith, that we would build up our faith in you as we walk this path called life. Yes, things do pop up right in the middle of the road from time to time. We understand that. But God, give us the faith the strength, the stamina, 
and the anointing in our lives, Lord, to pray that thing out of the way, to be completely removed from our path. And we're so thankful, Lord, that you've given us the faith to do that. Lord, whatever these folks are walking through today, may they have the strength, may they understand and embrace this word today as they read through it again. Lord, to talk to that mountain, speak to that mountain, to rebuke that mountain, and see it removed completely from their life. Thankful for that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Lord bless you guys. Have a great week, and we will see you back here next Sunday morning.